Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, we're rapidly approaching Rosh Hashanah, the new year, the new world. Giant new light is entering into the world, and uh, it's so good. It's so good. So, so we have to get ready. Um, I have a new way of visualizing what's about to take place, so I want to share it with you. You know, I wherever I speak, um, I'm, I'm always saying over this uh, this teaching, and I'm sure if you've been listening to this talks, these talks, you, you you've heard it many many times. Which is, if there's a God, how is the world so messed up? Everyone wants to know the answer to this question. So, so the Torah gives such a beautiful, simple answer, and it's because the world isn't finished yet. The world is not finished being created yet. We're still in the middle, and. And it just—it's such an empowering thought because that's why God created us to be partners with Him in terms of finishing off the world. So, so here's a new way of kind of um, seeing that thought. Okay, so imagine, imagine, like in 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 those great uh, sort of adventure movies. You know, there's you're on kind of one side of this, you know, gaping chasm. You know, in this mountain range, and then you have to get to the other side. So, so we're trying to get to the other side. We're trying to get to the, the what they call the, the Zmana Tikkun, the, the time of finishing up, the era of perfection, the messianic period, you know, where there's no more war or hunger or just, just there's peace, right? We're trying to get to that place. And, and that place was already envisioned before the world was created. That's, that's what God made this world in order to get to that place. So we're going to get to that place. That's, that's the, 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 the end of creation. We want to get to that place. And then, of course, creation continues, but in a, you know, in a much more rarefied, more revealed form. You know, it's the, the next era of the, of the story of this amazing journey that we're all on. Okay. But anyway, we're here and we got to get there. That's that's the point. And it's Rosh Hashanah. So how does all this tie together? So what's happening right now for Rosh Hashanah is the next the next series of planks of wood, the next series of units of the bridge to get from here to there are about to be laid out. Okay? So who knows, we can even lay it out all the way to the end. That's an amazing thought. Maybe like like our path, the next unit of completion to the other side is about to be determined this next year. Because if you think of time as, as a journey from right now to the completion of the world, and you kind of overlay that visual that we're sort of building this bridge to the other side, the two go together. And that's what Rosh Hashanah is all about. Rosh Hashanah is that time where the next expanse of bridge is about to be created. So, so what does that mean in terms of us individually? Well, ideally, we're going we're gonna to finish the job. This will be the year that we finish the job. Or maybe right now, the end of this year is, is already the time that we're finishing the job. Right? E- either way. But, but also, what's the nature of those planks? In other words, what, what is our journey over the next year going to be like? You know, it could be treacherous, God, God forbid. It could be just a smooth ride, God willing. And for us and, and as a people, right, it's, it's, there are two different dimensions to it. So, so that's, that's one way of visualizing what this next year is. So, so God willing, we should just be blessed with the, 
the smoothest, the smoothest path, and we should get all the way to the other side. That's what we want. Um, so, in this week's Torah portion, we 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 had one of the kind of like more amazing and slash scary uh, verses of the whole Torah. There's a whole list of um, blessings and then curses that we always read two weeks before the year is is over because the sages didn't want it to be the week going into Rosh Hashanah because that's just too heavy that we have, you know, all of these things weighing on us. So so the sages said, okay, two weeks before, we'll always read this parsha, Kitavo. And at the end of the curses is this very, very famous uh, verse. It's um, chapter... 28, this is the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy, um, verse 47. So 28, 47, if you want to see it yourself. I'll read to you in English. It says, because you, did not, as, uh, because you did not serve Hashem your God amid gladness and goodness of heart when everything was abundant. Um, so, or let me start from the previous verse. Um, they, meaning all these curses, will be a sign and a wonder in you and your offspring forever because you did not serve Hashem your God amid gladness and goodness of heart when everything was abundant. So people um, people appropriately get sort of freaked out by this verse, meaning to say that, you know, it sounds like, it just sounds like a horrible verse, doesn't it? It, it sounds like, oh my goodness, you know, I I wasn't appreciative enough. I wasn't happy enough. You know, and and now I'm going to get it. Okay, so that's the way most people learn that verse, which is why I want to tell you how the, the Sassover Rebbe, who is one of the, the greatest uh, Rebbe's, he was he was best friends with the Berdichever Rebbe, uh, Rev, Re, Rev, Rev Levi Yitzchak. And um, so anyone who's going to be best friends with Rev Levi Yitzchak, you know, has got to be one of the highest souls ever. And I want to tell you how he learns this 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 verse. Um, and I saw this uh, in the 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 Chidush Arim, and he says the following: says that um, don't don't read it the way most people read it, meaning to say ah uh, you 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 weren't appreciative enough, and now you're getting zapped. That's not it. Here's what it is. You see, all this good came down, and. We didn't find our primary joy in in our service to God in the mitzvahs, and and so as a result, we looked for our satisfaction in the deepest way elsewhere, and that that led us to look in all the wrong places. We sort of kind of took our life force, and we. Kind of redirected it in a in a in, in into another place, and that's where the trouble starts. And now, once we start doing that, all sorts of consequences start coming our way. So he's saying that it's not oh you weren't appreciative and now we're getting zapped. That's not it. It's that any person who isn't finding their chief joy in the service of God, is going to look for it in other places, and then they start to get themselves in trouble. And then the consequences come from those actions. That's how the Sassover Rebbe reads it. 
So what's the fixing? How, how can we correct that? To find our joy in, in Hashem. In making Hashem our best friend. In finding a way to, you know, people talk about observing Shabbos, but at the Happy Minion we talk about celebrating Shabbos, right? To figure out a way like, well, you know, how can I make this mine? How can I make this joyful? You know, who can I hang out with that's going to bring light into all these practices and make them understandable to me? So, so that's, that's, that's for me anyway, that's a very, very strong teaching. And, um, and I want to, I want to just sort of transition to a new idea right now, which is, which is, again, blessings and curses are in this Parsha. And one of the things that, that Moshe does is he divides the 12 tribes into, into two groups of six, and he lists a whole bunch of blessings, and these first six tribes say amen to all these blessings. And then the second group is on uh, Har'eval, Mount, uh, Mount Ebal in English, and, um, and there are the tribes Ruvain, Gad, Asher, Zvulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And and the question is, well, rather, Moshe lists all these curses, and they say amen. So a friend of mine asked me this question. He said, he said, how come they were chosen to be cursed? And this much was clear to me, that it couldn't be that Hashem is cursing six of the tribes. That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. There, were, there was no reason to. There was no occasion to. Hashem was just sort of putting it out in the world that, that these are things, these are activities that we should avoid. And it happened to be that these six tribes were, were saying Amen. So affirming that this was God's plan. But they, they weren't being cursed. But still the question is, why 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 have six for blessing and, and six for, for for not so much? I mean the, this information from Hashem could have been conveyed in another way. So the following thought occurred to me. You know, if you look at the names of these tribes, Ruvain, Gad, Asher, Zvulun, Dan, Naphtali, the you know, the, you know w- we think of the tribe of Yehuda, the tribe of Levi, right? Like there's there's a lot of kind of all-star names in terms of the tribes of Israel, and and they don't seem to be on this side. And I think that's I think that's revealing. And so based on this, I I want to I want to say the following, which is there are two types of role models I would like to say. Um, one role model tells you. How to remain a mensch, how to remain a decent, kind, loving, compassionate person in the face of success, which isn't so simple. You know, many people become successful and, um, you know, they don't have any patience for anybody who's, uh, who's somehow not a superstar in their eyes. I remember I was talking to someone who... I had the privilege to spend time with. He was the CEO, the, the you know the, the the number one person in one of the biggest, uh, maybe it was the biggest media company at that time in the entire world. So he was 
you know, he was an international figure. And he had since retired, but we were talking one time, and he said to me that when he had that job, when he was in the throes of that job, he said to me, anyone who talked to me, I would size up in seconds if they had anything that they could give me. And if I, after sizing them up, and he said, I did it very, very quickly, if I saw that they had nothing to give me, I moved on, you know? And so I just offer that as, as, as firsthand testimony. And, uh, you know, we've all had our own experiences. You don't need to hear it from me. That remaining a mensch, compassionate in the face of success, that, 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 that's not an automatic um, anyone who thinks, you know what, make me a success, and I'll, of course, automatically, of course I'll be a good person. Not so simple. So, so we need our role models. We need our role models for blessing. That's the first six tribes. But now I want to say something even deeper, which is that we also need our role models in terms of how to be a mensch when things aren't going well. And you know, the, the first tribe mention of the of the six who said Amen to the curses, that was the tribe of Ruvain. Ruvain was the, the firstborn son of, of, of Yaakov. And of course he he wasn't able to maintain that status as firstborn because because he he just, you know, he he didn't didn't keep his activities in a in, in a way that, that that Yaakov really saw were was appropriate for someone of his stature. And he did tremendous chuba, tremendous return, Ruvain did, and he tried and he tried. And it says, you know, when the year of perfection comes, that Ruvain will be restored to that that status of the firstborn. But but he had a fall. But in his fall he remained a supermensch and he did chuva and he tried and he worked. One of the most um beloved role models in, in all of Jewish history is Reb Zusha. And, you know, there, there's so many stories about Reb Zusha. He, he lived in the most intense poverty. And I forgot which Rebbe it was, but someone was experiencing very hard times. And this Rebbe told uh, the person, go and see Reb Zusha. He'll be able to give you an answer. And so the person travels to, to Reb Zusha, and he, he knocks on the door, and and Reb Zusha says, you know, you know, greets him and asks him why he's there, and he says that the the Rebbe had sent him because he was someone who was living in extreme hardship and and was able to deal with it. And Reb Zusha said, "What do you mean?" Well, he says, "Well, look, you know, you're. I mean, this is." Life is extremely difficult for you," he says. "What are you talking about? I I don't know what you're talking about." So, that's the end of the story, by the way. And people are still telling this story <laughs> a couple hundred years, maybe more later. Role models, role models for remaining a mensch when things aren't going great. And so maybe that that was perhaps the Kavana, God's intention of dividing up the, the tribes into six and six for blessing and curses. How to be a mensch, 
how to be an upright person when things are going well, and how to be an upright person when things are not going our way. And we need role models for both. Okay. So now I wanna I wanna go a little bit deeper. I got a I got a uh, an insight that I wanted to share. This is this is from from when we bring our fruits. We talked about bringing fruits. When we brought our fruits to the Holy Temple, right? Remember, Holy Temple is Gamatri Rosh Hashanah. Beis Hamikdash is Rosh Hashanah. So we said we, we we said we made a declaration. We didn't just drop off our fruits with a with a kohen. We we said something. We said something very special. We actually went over the the history, a, a very condensed history of the Jewish people when we gave our fruits, which you can you can think about that quite a bit. Like why why would we do that exactly? You know. Um, so so it says here. I'm reading from the I'm reading from the verse. It's in uh, in Devarim Deuteronomy twenty six uh, five. It says, then you shall call out, meaning when you bring your fruits, and say before Hashem your God, an Aramean tried to destroy my forefather. So, so that's that's referring to Levin, and the forefather is is Jacob, right? That's the father of the twelve tribes. Jacob Yaakov was also had another name, which was Israel, which is why we're called Israel. Okay, so we're going we're going back, an Aramean, meaning Levin, tried to destroy my forefather. You'll notice it's in the first person. I'm going to make a big point of that. Um, by the way, on, on an even deeper level, the Chedush Rim brings that the the Aramean in, in, in Hebrew is 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 a word that also references the the snake in the Garden of Eden. So this is just a very tiny one example of trillions of of how deep the Torah is. And how many levels are piled onto a single word? That when we're recounting our history, you're either going to the father of the Jewish people, Yaakov, Israel, or if you read it a little deeper, that same word is already talking about Adam, the very first human being. So we're either tracing the beginning of the Jewish people or we're tracing from the beginning of humanity itself. By the way, the Gomorrah asks the question how come? All of humanity came from one person, right? Everything started with Adam. Even before Chava, even before Eve, it all started with Adam. And the Gomorrah says something so, it's funny, it's like so, like if someone said this uh, today, you'd think that it was a, a current thought if you heard it today. This was said thousands of years ago. Why, why did God start with one person? So that the entire world would understand that they all have the same father. And they wouldn't argue, I came from this man, you came from that man. That we all have the same father. And just like we have the same genetic father in this world, we all have the same father in heaven as well. Okay, but I want to continue on with, with the language of this of this thing that we would say. So an Aramean tried to destroy my forefather. See how it's first person? He descended to Egypt and sojourned there, traveled there, few in number, and there he became a great, strong, and uh, great, strong and numerous. By the way, this is in the Haggadah. We say this every Pesach. 
Now listen to how it switches now. The Egyptians mistreated us and afflicted us and placed hard work upon us. Then we cried out to Hashem, the God of our forefathers. And Hashem heard our voice and saw our affliction, our travail, and our oppression. So, so it starts off in the first person, and then all of a sudden we're talking about us and our and we, and all of a sudden, even though you individually with your basket of fruits are making this declaration, all of a sudden it becomes this, this, this national statement, right? Like you're all of a sudden an emissary of an entire nation of people. It started off with just your personal take. Now, now, now everything is about the history of the Jewish people. Well, it continues on for a few more sentences, but now I want to skip to the last sentence. And it says, And now behold, I have brought the first fruit of the ground that you have given me, O Hashem. And then it says, And you shall lay it before Hashem your God, and you shall prostrate yourself before Hashem your God. So it starts off in the first person, then it expands to this expanse of we and us and our, and then it goes back to the I. So based on this, I want to say the following, and I, I want to use as a support a, a, um, a very interesting study that I heard from Rabbi Rosenbaum at Lincoln Square Synagogue over Shabbos. He said that, that there was a study, an academic study, um, that said that children who knew where their grandparents were from and, and knew their own personal and cultural uh, heritage and history uh, did better in life, that they were better to overcome the challenges that they were faced, and in general, they were just more successful at, at just dealing with life. So that's a very interesting study. Like, why, why would it be? Why would it be that um, if you know your family history, even, even to your grandparents, why would that be that that would make you more successful and better to deal, better able to deal with life's uh, challenges and, and disappointments? So I want to give just, a, I think, a very simple explanation. I'm sure it's deeper than this. But, you know, as intense as our problems often get, when we think of, a generation before us, or two generations before us, or in the case of the history people, thousands of years before us. And we understand that all of our ancestors got through lifetimes of, of, of challenges that probably outstripped ours by, you know, you know, a million fold. And they got through it. Okay, so it automatically provides some sort of perspective that we can get through it too. So I think that, again, on a very simple level, I, I think that that's maybe why it's so helpful to know something about where you've come from. But I want to return back to this, just this perspective, that it starts off with the, the word I, or the, the individual, and then it goes to the community, and then it goes back to the individual. And I was discussing this with my, my brother-in-law, and, and he helped me formulate this conclusion, which is that you know, you start off with an I, and you really mean just you. And then you realize, you know something, I'm part of a nation. There's a whole community, there's a whole, there's a whole nation of people that, that's, that's, also, that's also part of me. And then you, when you return at the end back to the I, 
It's a different I from the I that you started with. Now when you think of yourself, obviously you're an individual, but you're also part of a nation. You're not on your own. You're not on your own. That I is an expanded consciousness I. That I includes so much at the end of that process. And so I want to use this as a transition to to just make a, a final point. And um, I I was asked by the the, the Jewish Journal here, the um, of Los Angeles, that's the, the local Jewish paper here. They 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 asked me to, to write a, a short answer to a to a question. Um, they they make it two hundred and fifty words, so it's short. And I'll just end with this, okay? The question was, how how do we make? I think they use the word atonement, but I'll say tshuva, right? How do we make tshuva last? You know, because everybody. Everyone's getting ready for the holidays. Everyone wants to do the right thing. Everyone wants to just make themselves a tremendous vessel for blessing. So, But how do you make it last, right? So that it's not just something that's going to be a kind of a fly-by-night kind of thing for the next couple of weeks. Like, how do I make it real in my life? So that that's the question. So here's the answer that I wrote. I'm just going to read it to you. It's short, and, and we'll stop with that. Most people approach tshuva, or change, or even better, return, in the following way. These are the things I need to do more of, and these are the things I need to do less of. Makes sense. The problem is, when we focus only on our actions, it often doesn't work. Maybe it does in the short term, but usually not over the long haul. Why? Because before I examine my deeds, the first thing I need to decide is who it is I want to be. Once I decide with all of my heart that this is the new me, the choices I make will be different. How do you know? Because you yourself will want them to be different. Because your old behaviors will be inconsistent with who you are now. This is one of the cornerstone teachings of the Baal Shem Tov, which is, you are where your thoughts are. Imagine you want to go to a new place. There are two ways to get there. The first way is to lug all your belongings there. The second easier way is you just go there and then send for your stuff. The first process is extremely labor-intensive. The second process is much easier. I just pick the place I want to go, and there I am. Use these precious days to craft that vision of the better you, and, let your, and then let your deeds paint the portrait of who you are now. Okay? Should just be the best, 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 best year. And uh, just sending you all lots and lots and lots of love and and just uh, just diving your hearts out. And, you know, whatever it is, this is the time where God decides for all people, Jewish, non-Jewish, all people of the world, what their next year is going to be. So this is the time to increase in giving charity and doing just uh, chesed, loving acts for for whoever you can help out. Okay, friends, I can't leave you without one more thought. Um, so the way this Parsha starts off, it says that we take all of our first fruits and re- we bring them to the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. 
So one of the great gamaches, the Jikover Rebbe, says that Beis Hamigdash, which means holy temple, um, Beis Hamigdash is the same gamachia, the same numerical equivalent as Rosh Hashanah. That's that's amazing. Rosh Hashanah and Beis Hamigdash, same gamachia. Okay, so if we plug that new phrase into the verse, it reads like this: Bring your first fruits to Rosh Hashanah. So what does that mean? What are your fruits? Your fruits are all the great things you did this year. So make a basket before the davening starts, okay? Before the days of Rosh Hashanah start, get your basket out and remember all the fantastic things that you did this year. And then bring all those things to Rosh Hashanah to present to Hashem. Uh, all the Rebbes, all the Rebbes, I just saw in the Chidusha room again, all the Rebbes said that, that our attitude has to be that Hashem, of course, is going to give us the best year because He's our king. He's our loving parent. The one who's judging us is the one who loves us the most. And um, let's just go in with the most positive attitude and uh, just see great things.